100%. I feel like a foundational piece is for everyone to realize that your perception, white people's perception, is not the reality that black people have to live in. And so even though they even may have education about a problem or education about uh, how black people should feel about a situation. It's still at the end of the day, it's not the reality of living in that skin and living in those problems and in the struggles that black people have. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Three Words, a bite-sized podcast about the simple and significant choices that all of us can make in order to become the very best version of ourselves. My name is Dr. Michael Brown. I am the host of Three Words. And today, once again, I am so honored. And I'm so privileged to be sitting here in the studio with none other than Anthony King, founder, president of Brave. And over the past year, we have become friends. And we have been on this journey together to really fight against racial injustice. And um, Tony, it is so good to have you here. We did a previous podcast in, entitled Be Color Brave, but I just want to thank you for coming to this conversation because here are our three words for today. Verdicts don't heal. Verdicts don't heal. As I was watching... I was on the elliptical at the rec center where I work out every day, and I was watching the verdict of the Derek Chauvin trial coming to light. And I was there uh, almost now a year after George Floyd's murder, and the verdict came back, guilty in all three counts. And I felt like it was a good decision. I felt like it was a right decision. Um, but this is the thought that came into my mind as I was there just three days ago. And that's why I'm so thankful that we can have this conversation in real time As I thought to myself, good verdict, but verdicts don't heal. So immediately on the drive home, I called my friend, Anthony King, and I said, hey, brother, would you be willing to have a conversation with me just a few days from now about this three-word phrase? Because I know for you and I together, we want healing. We want healing for communities. We want healing for our country. We want healing for the black, black and brown community. We want healing. We want healing. We want wholeness. And so I just want to have a conversation with you and, and just see where it leads. As often, it's unscripted and we just talk as friends. But how are you doing and, and how are you feeling after the verdict? Yeah, uh, it's feelings of almost confusion. Hmm. Uh, in the beginning, I was happy um, and joyful. Uh, but that was short lived. I think it's hard to be joyful because I don't believe that it's true. We receive true justice. I don't believe we've reached a point of justice because George Floyd still has lost his life. Mm. His daughter, he will still never be able to see his daughter graduate high school, never see his daughter marry anyone, mm. never get a chance to hug his wife never get a chance to see his brother anymore. So I don't believe that justice has been reached yet. I do believe that this is a start and it's a start because of accountability that they held Derek Chauvin accountable. And I'm proud of that. But for me, it's mixed feelings. And I can mm -hmm. say that uh, it's a nuanced feeling, um, but I am hopeful that maybe this will start to set a trend. But it is a very multi-dynamic thing right now as far as the black community and how we feel about policing 
and systemic racism and how that ties into the trial of Derek Chauvin. And we had our conversation about being color brave or the three words that we engage in a conversation before you lead an organization, you, you authored and founded an mm-hmm. organization called brave. Would you share with uh, our listeners and our viewers today, tell us more about brave, what that, that name means and what it stands for and even what you're involved in right now. hundred percent. Brave means stands for black rights, activism, visibility, and equity. And what we do is we go or I would say penetrate into white communities and we help those communities be more inclusive towards black, um, and, but also brown people. Mm-hmm. And so we do things as far as we're preparing to do podcasts. We've done events such as the Juneteenth event. I mean, we advocate on the local political level, uh, really everything that we do, we try to help black people become more comfortable, safe, welcome and not targeted by the police uh, inside of white, predominantly white communities. Okay. And so you've seen tremendous support. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like uh, as you launched this initiative and envisioned uh, Mm -hmm. this very important dream, really um, that, that people have been rallying around you. Have you, have you seen any resistance to this? I mean, what has been kind of your experience? Cause it's been what, almost a year now, almost a year. Yeah. Yeah. And so what has been your experience as brave has continued to grow and develop a hundred percent. And it's also been a very nuanced thing. Uh, there's been a, there's been a situation where people have rallied behind me and people have supported brave and people have welcomed their, opened their arms and welcomed brave and the thought of justice inside of the Bowling Green community. But there's also been, um, a portion of the community that has disdain for brave and has Mm -hmm. disdain for what we're doing and what we're about. And so, um, I can't say that it's been entirely uh, graceful mm. um, and that it's been something that uh, has been always pleasurable. We've had, we've had some hard times. Um, you Sorry, know, I've yeah. received personal threats. Uh, you know, I've received letters. You have. Um, I have. Yeah. And, you know, I've had to go to, uh, you know, spend a night at friends' houses when I didn't feel safe, you know. But all this is in the name of justice. And I believe uh, if at the end of the day that Bowling Green becomes a more welcoming community and mm-hmm. if never a black and brown person have to ever feel targeted and unwelcome inside of Bowling Green again, then I've done my job. And so that keeps me motivated throughout the struggle. So you and I both have the same dream. Mm-hmm. Um we come from different places, different spaces. I obviously am cloaked and wrapped in white privilege. Mm-hmm. I I never have to think about uh, what someone's thinking of me within our community, or even if I'm pulled over by a police, what would I would think? And we've we've had this conversation before, and our experiences are very different. And yet, we both long for healing. Um, I on occasion continue to bring these conversations front and center within our three words podcast and even mm-hmm. our work with DMB coaching, because it's so, so important to me personally. And as our family, we both want healing. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to say this and I'm not sure it's true, but I, I'm hopeful that everyone wants healing, mm-hmm. but we're trying to decide how do we achieve that? And mm-hmm. at least for me, I'm thinking at least in a broad sense, healing isn't about verdicts. It's about bridge building. Mm-hmm. It's about relationships. It's about cultivating dialogue and real honest conversations. And I know you agree with that, but mm-hmm. what does that look like? What do you feel like, my friend, is from your perspective, through your lens, representing your community, mm-hmm. what is some of the pathways or the steps to healing that really are just foundational? Yeah, I think 
a foundational step is opening up the conversation to allow healing to happen. Um, unfortunately, what we have now is people don't want to listen to each other. Polarized. Polarized, yes. right. We have black people who do not want to listen to anything a white person says. We have white people who don't want to listen to anything uh, a black person says um, mm. because of uh, polit- polit- political struggles. But I believe in order for healing to actually occur, that we have to begin to open up our ears and welcome each other inside of our homes, inside of our houses. We have to create podcasts and invite black and brown people on and discuss uh, intricacies within race and equity. I believe these are like foundational steps, man, for healing to actually occur. Mm-hmm. But those conversations are hard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I've developed an entire curriculum um, around this idea of navigating controversial conversations in a contentious world. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing it with organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, it not only is around these social justice issues and, and political ideas and so forth, but just even within relationships, like, like conflict is hard. It's so hard to see the world through someone else's eyes, mm-hmm. to experience their reality through someone else's experiences. It's hard work. And so it's easy to, um, to always translate everything we see in here through my own personal experience. And, and I'm sure you feel that. I feel that. And so bringing people in each other's homes, having these open conversations, even if we were to have a podcast, we were to gather people around, it could be really hard because there's certain ground rules that maybe aren't in place, mm-hmm. you know, such as I'm, going to spend more energy listening to you than instructing you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to spend, I'm going to be open to the fact that maybe I need to change my mind about something, mm-hmm. or maybe I've not seen something clearly until now, but that requires a tremendous amount of humility. Are you encountering that kind of humility in this journey that we're on together? Or, or what have been the biggest challenges to, cause you said we need to have the open dialogue. What are some of the elements to what that looks like and how do we do that? I f- 100%. I feel like a foundational piece is for everyone to realize that your perception, white people's perception, is not the reality that black people have to live in. Mm. And so even though they even may have education about um, a problem or education about uh, how black people should feel about a situation, it's still at the end of the day, it's not the reality of living in that skin and living in those problems and in the struggles that black people have. And so what it is, is realizing that taking a step back and taking a step outside of yourself and creating a space to welcome in those conversations. And I think what you said is really important that it's going to be difficult and uncomfortable. And so both Mm. parties have to be willing to sit and center themselves in that uncomfortability in order for healing to happen. Uh, I think that it'll only happen in uncomfortable settings and that we cannot be comfortable and expect for true justice, for true healing to occur. Yeah. Difficult, uncomfortable. I mean, how often as human beings do we seek out those opportunities? <laughs> I mean, it <laughs> seems like we do, we, yeah. we're, we're spending so much of our life and energy trying to make life easy yeah. and to make life more comfortable. And so to actually choose to enter into it. But, but what's, what breaks my heart is I continue to spend time with my black and brown friends who say, I, I'm stuck in difficult. Mm. 
I'm stuck and uncomfortable. I have to deal with it and face it every day. Whereas for someone like me, I can actually look away and not see it and not have to experience. I don't have to be forced to think about it because it just doesn't affect me in the same sort of way. That's one of the reasons even that I still to this day, uh, our family has a Black Lives Matter flag flying outside of our home because it's not a thing from 2020. Black Lives Matter is not a, an issue for 2020. It's not an issue just for 2021. It's something. And again, a flag doesn't, you know, verdicts don't heal. Flags don't heal. You know, um, political parties don't heal. I mean, we could fill in all the things we want to do that are external. The hard work is sitting with someone who's different than you and they say something and you're unsettled. Or maybe even you disagree and you're willing to actually stay there and go, okay, this is uncomfortable. This is unsettling. It is completely contrary to everything else I believe and what I've experienced and what I think to be true. But I'm going to stay here. I'm going to be here longer because I love this person and because I care. And to actually choose uncomfortable and choose awkward, nobody does it. Who wants it, right? Um but yet it's really the, it's the pathway to healing. I mean, there's even if our, if we're physically unhealthy, there's probably some really hard, uncomfortable choices we need to make to get to healing. Right. And we can think about that in every dimension of our lives. And so this is one of those dimensions. This is one of those most important things. Wow. So have you been having any of those hard, uncomfortable, awkward conversations? Yeah. All the time. All, yeah. all the time. <laughs> all the time. So what have you so, learned through those? Yeah. I learned that patience is key. Okay. And I've learned that research is key. And sometimes being quiet is the best thing you could ever do. Being quiet mm-hmm. and listening is the best thing you could ever do. I've been in conversations uh, when I first initially started this work with the police chief of Bowling Green, mm-hmm. uh, with the mayor of Bowling Green, with city city council uh, members and senators and and, uh, and and state legislators and things of that nature, uh, and friends, yeah. you know, who are who are white, right, or who are not uh, the same race as me, and in all those conversations, there's even been things that I've learned. About people mm-hmm. who are not who are not like me, and some sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes it's hard to sit back and listen. Sometimes it's hard to just um, settle and center yourself in being uncomfortable. But yeah. it's needed in order to do uh, do something which is I think Martin Luther King tried uh, hard on, and which is bridge building. Mm-hmm. Bridge building between cultures, bridge building between races, which is important because we're not going to understand each other because we have different and lived experiences. So for me, that was one of the most important pieces that I had to learn inside yeah. of this work of social justice, because a big portion of it is bridge building and yeah. being activist and activism through love. And you, and you talked about nuance, this idea that we want to have a broad brush for the entire white community. And we don't want to have this broad brush of the entire black and brown community, because even within those communities, there's such different, unique, distinct perspectives, but it's it's neater and it's more tidy for the black and brown community to say, well, this is what the white community thinks. <laughs> and it's more tidy and neat. This is what the black and brown community thinks. But to allow nuance, to say, you know what? I actually have someone who feels, who accepts this particular thing, but rejects this particular notion. Um, I know one of the most challenging conversations I have been having recently as a white uh, ag- ag- advocate for social justice is I fully believe in systemic racism. 
But I am in relationships, great relationships with Caucasian white brothers and sisters who would say, I, my heart breaks for the racism that I'm seeing, for the injustices that I'm seeing, for the George Floyd, like their heart breaks, but I, they reject that, that idea of systemic racism. That's hard for me. But I've had to listen, even as a white person who believes that and, and understand, because I think there's a lot, there's so much different perspective. And, and I feel like there's a lot to learn from each other. And why do you feel that way? And why did that? But for me, it's for, I can't only speak for myself, but there's times when someone says that, I just want to then put up a wall and say, well, you don't understand. But they're trying to understand. Like, it's so hard. I can't imagine as hard as it is for me, my friend, how much harder it is for you. Because it's so deeply personal when someone says something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely uh, has taken patience. And another thing is a lot of black people and brown people do not have space for that. And that's okay. They do not have space uh, to allow that patience only because they're living, Mm -hmm. consciously living through their experiences. And so it may actually offend a black and brown person uh, with uh, something that you may say. And that is completely okay. And I think that inside of a culture, and and especially, uh, you know, white people have are faulted at this, but we have to allow, um, we have to allow like black people and brown people to feel pain. We have to allow them to go through that space of not wanting to hear what you say because they're having to live that experience. They're having to go through that. It's Um, not theoretical. It's not theoretical. It's not theoretical to them. You know, that's not something that they've seen on TV or something that they've read about. You know, me personally, um, you know, you could say that I am a, a, a product of systemic racism. My mother passed of uh, drug addiction and overdose two years ago and oh. I'm adopted. And so for me, this is uh, personal for me. And it was harder to hear white people at, at first because it seemed like they were attacking me yeah. and it seemed like they were doing it on purpose, but I had to realize it's because of systemic racism, which is why they have that worldview. It's because of systemic, systemic racism and it's not their fault, which allowed me to take a step back and realize that I have to allow space even in myself to be able to stay there in an uncomfortable feeling. I didn't know that part of your story mm-hmm. that your mother has passed. I'm really sorry to hear that. Thank you. And that you're adopted, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just a, a fascinating part of your story. There's probably so much more we can talk about there. But in, and, and even now, like we've known each other. We've been spending some time together on occasion and uh, care about the same things. And yet even today, kind of spontaneously, I'm learning more about your story because we're spending a few more minutes together. Mm-hmm. It, it, it requires the time. It requires the investment. Um, healing requires relationships. Um, it requires humility. I mean, it's all the stuff that you're talking about, my friend. You know, we talked about a year ago, and it's, it's been a little less than a year ago when we talked a little bit about, you know, be color brave. And we're talking about Black Lives Matter. And you and I have engaged in some conversations about this and we're big supporters of Brave and we care deeply about what you're doing and support what you're doing. And I asked you back then, and I want to, I'm just curious even today, I asked you, what was it like to be a black man uh, within this community or even what are some, some things you would want me to hear from you um, in regards to that experience? And, and even for those who are listening and viewing um, who maybe met you at the first podcast, is there any new information or new insights that you have that even you would add to just as you've lived another year of this and you've been on the front lines, my friend, on the front lines of this? Um, that are unique things that you're like, 
if I could say this one more time to the white community, it would be. Or if I could say this one thing to the black and brown community, it would be. I'm just curious if there's any other thoughts that come to mind as we kind of wrap up this conversation. A hundred percent. Martin Luther King has a quote, uh, and I hope I don't uh, misquote him, but it's the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And at the beginning, I thought that, uh, that quote is important for me, but at the beginning, I thought that I could be able to change the world and I am going to go into this fight and I am going to eradicate systemic racism. Hmm. And I'm going to change the racist people's minds. And I'm going to go into those spaces and completely wipe out all of the racism inside of the, uh, of the identities of those people. Hmm. What I have to realize is that this fight has been going on for so long. And it's going to be longer than either me or you or even some, maybe even our grandkids' lifetime. Hmm. So to realize that, but to also... Uh, center ourselves in the fact that progress is happening. Mm-hmm. Progress can happen. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes a generation or two to actually see it and actually realize it. But it's important to keep going. Yes. It's important to not give up. It's important to keep doing your research because at the end of the day, it's all an important piece of the pie that plays into um, the whole system of the world. Yeah, We are needed, anti-racists are needed, black activists and brown activists are all needed a part of the world and all play such a huge part in society and will continue to. Yeah. And I guess I would say to add to that, and as we are seeking to fight for these things that for every one of us, and I'm thinking of myself predominantly, that I need to regularly look in the mirror, <laughs> say, how am I contributing to this? And how am I, what is my role in this fight versus that's for someone else? You know, that's, that's someone else's business like that. Like, but again, I need to commit to uncomfortability. I need to be okay with awkward. I need to be um, at least willing to be unsettled because that's where progress is made too. And I also, so I guess what, I, what I'm saying is, and I'm, I'd be curious your thoughts on this. I don't want to always be looking at my community and saying, how does the community change? Or what are the things we need to do in our world versus what do I need to do in my heart? <laughs> what do I need to do in my life? What conversations do we need to have as a family? Hmm. What kind of conversations do I need to have within my faith community? What are, what are real things that we can say, but is there a possibility that I could be, there's something I still don't know? that my paradigm could be shifted, that there's perspectives, that my perspective can be enlarged by someone who thinks differently. Because we like being right, don't we, my friend? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Everyone wants to be right. Nobody wants to be wrong. But that's why I like this sense of nuance. I don't think it's an issue at this point about right or wrong or good or bad. It's about, I mean, yes, there are things that are truly good and bad and things that are right and wrong. But to be able to not enter those conversations with that motive, how do I prove right and prove you wrong? How do I say I'm good and you're bad? Because that's not healing. That's not collaboration. That's not listening. That's healing is going to happen person to person, within home to home, within community to community. Wow. Even as I say that, my friend, that feels tiring to me. That feels long. Not tiring. It sounds exciting, but also it's long, like what you just said. The arc of the moral universe is long, long. Yeah. Yeah. The arc of the moral, but, but, but it leans in the direction of justice. Yeah. 
I, I think I'm misquoting Martin Luther King, <laughs> Dr. Okay, King as well, but yeah, we both don't want to do that. Just as but it's so, so true. So I, I guess I would say to our listeners today and our viewers, if I could just wrap up by saying this, verdicts are important. The verdict that came out three days ago was extremely important, but it's just the beginning. The real work is ahead. And listening to my friend, Tony, man, it's going to be a long and laborious and challenging work. Would you join with me? Would you join with Tony? Would you commit to the healing process, knowing that it's going to require more than verdicts in the national news and on the national landscape? It's going to require us, our lives, our choices, our homes, our decisions, that if we're going to have healing, true healing over time, we need to start with the right things. And we need to be reminded that verdicts don't heal. Unsurprisingly, Tony and I kept chatting, sitting here in our seats, enjoying each other at the end of our three words podcast, verdicts don't heal. And so what we didn't realize is the cameras were still rolling and the audio was still rolling. And so there's some more uh, very interesting insights that I learned from my dear friend, Tony King, that is now available as well. Listen in. That was great, man. I love just sitting with you. Yeah. We could, it's amazing. <laughs> Most of our, that went 20 something. I could, I could, it's like an hour could go by. We could just, <laughs> literally, yeah. All day, you're man. a fantastic listener. I, yeah. I, I feel part of me is like, I want you to talk more, but you just sit there so quietly and you just let me just do my thing. <laughs> Absolutely, like, man. <laughs> I know, but I want yeah. you. Ah. <laughs> so did you yeah. feel like there were other things that we could have talked that you felt like you wanted to say, or do you feel like we hit the things that we needed to say? I did. Yeah. For this conversation. Yeah. 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 I, I feel good about it. I think that's such an important part of the struggle is the healing portion. And I feel like that's something that people just aren't talking about. And I think it's it at the end of the day, it's going to take more than legislative action to do it. Yeah, it's going to take more than legislative action and it's a personal struggle. It's a personal struggle that we are going to have to continue to live with. And well, I love how people have been saying that the Chauvin verdict is actually pro-police. Hmm. In the sense that there's a lot of police that are like, he's not us. <laughs> he's not <laughs> now, us. Yeah, like, I want that to happen so that that's not me. Like, he yeah. should be in prison. He but, should be, yeah. Um, people are throwing people. I, I've heard people say that, you know, they threw him under the bus because, you know, his captain um, and lieutenant, the police lieutenant, they are um, actually uh, testified against. Which show, never man. happens. Which never, code, which yeah. never happens. And people feel like the blue line has been broken. But I don't know if this is a successful view of that. I can't tell if the blue line has been broken or if they're just throwing someone under the bus to protect their own image. You know, something that, something that we didn't talk about is 1500 people have been killed, uh, by police at the hands of black, at, at the hands of a white police officer, 1500 black men and black men and women. And Sholin is the eighth conviction. Since in, tw- in the last 20 years. Amazing. Chauvin is the eighth conviction. Yeah. Wow. People oh. forget the origin of race because we talked about that race was created just like money, right? So what was the origin of racism? Greed, right? And I feel like that is such an important part in the fight for racism because that needs to be, like activists need to think about that because and that's why I'm an activist through love because the root of racism is greed, even legislatively and talking systemically, it's all greed to keep a certain group of people above 
and a certain group of people below. Mm-hmm. And so we can't fight fire with fire. And Fred Hampton said it really well. Like we have to fight fire with water. Yeah. yeah. I love how you say you're in activism and love. Yeah. Activism and love always. Yeah. Well, and that was Martin Luther King. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's why I think and what's happening is that the, 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 the violent protests, people will grab hold of that and say, see, now I'm going to reject the whole movement versus, you know, we, we can't do that. We've mm. got to understand. Like you said, we got to let people be angry too. Mm. Um, yeah. We have to make space for that, man. And it's honestly part of the totality of like the entire struggle. And so we can't ever like focus in on a specific moment in time and say that this is bad and this is why this is bad. We have to look at the totality of the struggle, like black people and brown people going throughout this. I mean, think of Rodney King. <laughs> and the riots in LA and uh, how he, he wasn't convicted and, you know, the Trayvon Martins and, you know, the other, the other people inside society who can be n- named on lists. And so it's a lot of his frustration. I think looking at the to- totality of the struggle, to- the totality of history is important, the totality of race and equity and how that has played a part into uh, the system of America, then that'll believe that'll help people to have a more of an overstanding to why black people are doing certain things like know that it does not make it right but it allows you to then step back and then understand and be willing for a conversation yeah, yeah. appreciate you my friend understand man for life coaching consulting services or to hire a keynote speaker please visit dmbcoaching.com